friends, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. We are your hosts. Well, didn't we decide I'm the host boss and you're the under you're the host and I'm the assistant to the host. There you go. So I'm your boss host. <laughs> Krista Horton, and I'm here with my husband, who is actually the real boss sometimes, um, Zach Horton. And we are excited to be here with you today, as I say every week, because we are excited to be here. Um, Today we are studying for the week of May 27th through June 2nd for Come Follow Me. We're following along with that New Testament study in Joseph Smith Matthew. 1, Matthew 25, Mark 12 through 13, and Luke 21, another fully loaded Lots of chapters. scripture block. We're dedicating this episode to Legos. We are huge Lego fans in our home. I think they're the best toys ever created by anyone. And our youngest daughter just discovered them tonight. She was singing her own little song while she was playing Legos with the other siblings while we were in there building. I built a mech, is what the kids call it. And Tyler built a spaceship. Eloise built a tower out of the two-by-two blocks. Oh, I don't think anything melts my heart quite like a family Lego night. Yes. And especially like that, that is what all of the young kids, we've kind of like gone through this. I remember when our other daughter, who's now four, she can now build things other than towers. Mm -hmm. They start out with towers. And our youngest two-year-old was humming and building a tower out of Legos. I don't think there's anything more important tonight than we could dedicate to than Legos. So thank you, so Legos. Good, good thinking, Zach. There we go. So we are here and happy tonight because of Legos and ready to record. Our doctrine this week um, is, and we might spend two weeks on this because it's a big one, uh, but it helps frame this week's study a little bit. It's the doctrine of the plan of salvation. There are some big misconceptions about the plan of salvation that I think get us into trouble. Um, you probably, most everyone, has seen the plan of salvation illustrated with a circle illustrating the pre-mortal life, then the arrow coming to earth, passing through the veil, then we've got earth life, then we die, there's a spirit world and spirit prison, and then there's resurrection and the sun, the moon, and the stars, celestial, terrestrial, telestial kingdom. I don't think people have seen that. I bet most people have made cutouts (laughs) in some form or another. There's a missionary in our mission that had a Simpsons version of the plan of salvation. Wow. So Homer Simpson went from (laughs) pre-mortal life to earth life to spirit world. Okay, that just might beat him out. Yeah, so... um, (laughs) And it's helpful to know all of that, especially with this episode as we're talking about the second coming. It is helpful to know where in the timeline of uh, Earth's history that second coming takes place. Um, Often I see it in illustrations, second coming and then final judgment as if they're separate events, when actually they are the same event. When the Savior comes, those that are worthy and ready will be um, caught up to meet him and be translated or resurrected at his coming as celestial beings. Uh, The scriptures teach that really clearly. And so it's helpful to have that. But one of the things that I always try and point out um, in those discussions is these circles and these lines and these arrows, it's not the plan of salvation. It's a map 
of salvation, if you will. It shows us where we've been and where we are and where we're going, but it's not the plan of salvation. And it's not even that really good of, that's not even that good of a map because it shows things way out of proportion. In other words, the pre-mortal life is this small circle, earth life is the big circle, then the spirit world is the small circle. When in reality, we spent an eternity in pre-mortality. We spend this tiny little century here on earth, and then we will spend an eternity in life afterwards. Um, I've often illustrated it better by stringing a, a string up from one side of a room to another and then tying a tiny little knot in the middle that represents earth life. One end of the string illustrates pre-mortal life and one end of the string represents post-mortal life. And it really helps frame earth life a little bit better. It helps big things seem not so big and it helps some of the important things seem much more important because they adjust the trajectory of our whole earth life. But even that string with the knot isn't the plan of salvation. If someone were to ask a member of the church, hey, I hear you Mormons talk all the time about the plan of salvation. What is the plan of salvation? And if you were to grab a whiteboard and draw circles and lines and squigglies and label things spirit world, you'd confuse the heck out of them. I did that as a missionary, and I always thought it was really cool, but always got blank stares from people. What they want to know, what they should want to know, when they're asking what is the plan of salvation is, what's God's plan for saving me? That's the question of what's the plan of salvation. The question of where we were and where we're going is a different question, but what's the plan of salvation is God's plan for saving us. And there's multiple parts to that plan, but it all focuses around his son. He uh, assigns his son, as we discussed last week, to create the world, whereon the father can send his sons and daughters to the world. So the creation is part of that plan. His son would then atone for the sins and the humanity of mankind. That's part of that plan. Then that son would be resurrected, and we then would be resurrected at his coming, as we'll talk about more in this episode. That's part of the plan. That creation the fall, the atonement, the resurrection. These are events in that plan of salvation. And it's all part of God's plan to help us get back to him, to help us become like him. That's what the plan of salvation is. I think that's one of the shifts that I've had as we've discussed this is kind of that map sometimes leaves out Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. where Jesus Christ is the plan of our yeah. salvation. Yeah. And... So I really like just thinking about it this way. I think it's healthy for us to kind of make those changes in our mind of what that really is. In fact, what you're saying might be the best way to answer the question. What is God's plan for saving us? His plan is Jesus Christ. That's his plan. He had a son that he foreordained from the beginning to come to earth, to teach, to lead, to atone, and to resurrect. That's the plan of salvation. And we're actually going to talk quite a bit more about that in this episode. So there we go. Okay. Um, here is a kind of scary self-evaluation question. What if, as you're listening to this podcast, you get a little notification. You're subscribed to some news feed and you get a notification. And the notification says, alert, the second coming is happening right now. Maybe you're watching TV or uh, you're listening to the radio and you hear the announcement, Jesus is here. 
the Son of God is here. And we know that it's him because when he comes again the second time, he won't come meek and humble as he did the first time. He will come in power and glory and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. So we'll know it's him. It'll be all over the news. It'll be all over social media. It'll be everywhere. He's here. We know that he's here. What if that were to happen today? What would your emotions be? Imagine it right now. If you found out that Jesus was here, what would your emotions be? If you went home and you open your front door and he's there in your living room, one of his first stops on his second coming tour is your house, your living room, your bedroom. What would your thoughts be? Now, you may be, probably are a better person than I am, but my thoughts a lot of times when I have thought about this is there's a little bit of fear there. There's anxiousness. There's there's worry. My life's not ready or what's going to happen in the world when he comes or there's destruction or there's, and there's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry about the second coming. I think for me, I would, the thought of seeing him or seeing him on the TV or in a social media channel thrills me, honestly, to kind of that, that feeling of he's there. Mm-hmm. and that almost relief feeling. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing, the part that does give me the anxiety and that you're talking about is some of these these signs and these warnings from prophets today and from the scriptures of the destruction and the things that are going to happen leading up to that, that, that you think, okay, we see bad things now. There's more to come. That's what's unsettling mm-hmm. for me. So kind of maybe the thought of it happening right now, I think, Okay, we handled some of the bad stuff because there's enough bad stuff happening. So I don't know. What do you? What do you? I, how do you figure that part in? <laughs> well, that's what I think helps us dive into this week's study. Um, Joseph Smith Matthew is a is the Joseph Smith translation of Matthew chapter twenty four. Um, it adds quite a bit of detail about the signs of the second coming. Um, and we're not going to go in depth on all of those signs. You can study it and read it on your own. They're signs of his. There's signs that have already been fulfilled. A lot of them have already been fulfilled. You want kind of a, oh, an academic study. You go through each verse and find the signs and just ask yourself, is that something that I've seen in the world or I'm currently seeing in the world? Um, and it paints a pretty clear picture that the second that the Savior's coming is actually quite a bit closer than we may think that it is. But what I want to focus on is this: two outcomes in this episode. Uh, one, I want to erase the fear of the second coming. It's one of my personal crusades to help people erase their fear of the second coming. And number two, um, this week's study can help us prepare for that coming, prepare for our final judgment, prepare to meet the Savior. So to erase the fear, here's the verses. This is Joseph Joseph Smith Matthew, verse 4. Jesus left them and went up upon the Mount of Olives. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us when shall these things be, which thou hast said concerning the destruction of the temple and the Jews. And what is the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world or the destruction of the wicked, which is the end of the world? That middle question, what's the sign of thy coming? We have to remember that is asked by his closest apostles, his closest disciples. Um, If you flip to verse 22, Jesus clarifies 
to whom he is giving these signs. And there's scary signs, but he clarifies to whom he's giving the signs. Verse 22, for in those days there shall also arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if possible, they shall deceive the very elect who are the elect according to the covenant. Uh, verse 29, behold, I speak for mine elect's sake. And then verse 23, I speak these things unto you for the elect's sake. Now listen to the emotion he wants us to have. In the middle of telling us all the signs of the second coming, listen to the emotion he wants us to have. I speak these things unto you for the elect's sake, and you also shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For I have told you these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. The emotion the Savior wants you to have as you consider the signs of the second coming, is not nervousness, it's not anxiety, it's not fear, it's peace, it's maybe excitement. Um, I heard a great teacher once share this analogy that pretend you're playing in a basketball game and you're in the fourth quarter and your team is down horribly. I mean, we're talking 50, 60, 70 points. Your coach calls a timeout, he pulls you over to the sideline and he says, I've got great news. We are putting in our all-star player. He is the best one that has ever played. He's never missed a single shot. He can shoot from anywhere on the court. It doesn't matter how many teams. We could empty the stands and put them on defense, and he would still sink every single shot. He can sink an infinite number of shots in an infinitesimally small amount of time. There is never a game that he hasn't won completely and outright, and he's coming into the game now. What would you feel as his teammate? If the all-star player is coming into the team, what would you feel? I think that's what the purpose is of the Savior signs of the second coming. I think he wants you to look at him and say, yay, he's coming. Even though there's <laughs> even though they're 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 scary signs, to be able to look at him and, and be thrilled, be excited. Well, I think that really shows. I just I like that. I mean, the word I said it was thinking in answer to your question of how I would feel if that basketball player were coming to my team was exactly that. Like, see that I'm I'm not going to be troubled. I'm going to be confident. And despite the fact that he says there's going to be those words right before he says it, um, see that you be not troubled. And I think that we get that practice in Jesus Christ as we're here on earth. You know, we get to fill pieces of pieces of that peace um, in him that is going to be true when he when he comes again and as we prepare for his second coming. You know, you said this about the plan of salvation. I think it's also true about the second coming. We eliminate the Savior all too often from the plan of salvation when he is the plan of salvation. I think a lot of times we talk about the second coming and forget whose second coming it is. We get nervous about the signs in the world and the destruction, and we forget yeah. this is Jesus, the Lamb of God, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, the King of Peace that's coming. Um, and so even though the world will be in turmoil and there will be wars and rumors of wars and all of that, remember that it's Jesus that's coming. It's his second coming. And just remembering him and who he is and what kind of a person he is, what his personality is, what his character is, might help us look at the signs of the second coming with less fear and more faith. So if the first question is answered in those chapters that we just talked about is getting rid of that fear, um, the next part that we want to talk about is how can we prepare? 
How can we prepare ourselves now? And as we move into Matthew 25, we see these parables of people preparing for his coming. Um, We have the parable of the talents, the parable of the ten virgins, and the parable of the sheep and goat, the sheeps and goats. And the question that we wanted to ask was, what are these characters in these parables doing to prepare? And individually, you'll be studying these on your own, and there's so much that we can we can get from each of them. But what do these have in common? And the first thing that stuck out to me was that although these stories are each so different, they're all doing something. They're all preparing in some way. Um, I love that the parable of the ten virgins is all about that gathering oil, those gathering, those small drops. They're doing something. And then we have have the next one of the talents where they're given they're given this talent, this something from their stewardship. master, the stewardship over something. Um and then as the sheep and the goats, they're they're doing something again. They're asked to serve. They're asked to um kind of have these unexpected ways of service ways to serve their fellow man. And I really like that they're all different, but they're all asked to do. You know, this seems like such a simple point, but this is exactly back in Joseph Matthew and in Matthew 24, the verse is the same. What the Savior says is the outcome we should be aiming for when he comes or, or what we should be doing. This is verse 50 in Joseph Matthew. I think it's verse 44, five or six or something in Matthew 24. Um, but he gives that little mini parable about when the master leaves and comes back. Um, verse 50, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. And it doesn't specify necessarily what that doing is. But the idea is that when he comes unexpectedly, because you have no idea when he's coming, that you're doing something. And so this is a really simple point. But it's a really powerful one that we should be doing something. And that might be different for everyone, you know, based on our last episode, different fruit, different tree, different things that you're doing. But you got to be doing something. Well, and and maybe we're going to preach this too much, but that idea of that personal discipleship, hmm. that each of us needs to really figure out, are we are we doing something with a stewardship of talents or maybe we're busy collecting, collecting droplets right now. And, you know, maybe that changes with our season, but how are we connecting and preparing and asking God what kind of service he wants us to give? And, you know, I love the story of the widow's might and how that fits into this. Um, Here she is someone in Jesus's time doing just this. It's not a parable. It's someone that he sees giving the bit that they have to give. Um, And I love Jesus's words here in verse 43. He said to them, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. And there it goes again. There's no need to compare what stage we're in, whether we're collecting drops or whether we're, we have stewardship over 10 talents, Um, but that we all have something to give as we prepare. You know, there's a picture in the Come Follow Me manual this week for the widow's mite that caught my attention. It's an illustration of the widow's mite, but it's not an old woman like, like, is, we, usually like we usually 
see depicted. There's no indication in the scriptures at the age of this woman. Uh, it's a young woman in this picture with two children, one that she's carrying, one that is holding on to her, and she's the one depositing her two coins. I love that image. Um, or I love the idea that this widow may not have been an aged woman whose children are gone. Maybe it's someone who has, whose husband has just recently passed, and she is asked to give these two mites. And again, what you're saying, the, the principle is, it doesn't matter if it's big or small compared to others. Blessed is that servant, that widow, that individual, that family member, whoever it is, blessed is that servant that when the master comes, he finds her so doing. Yeah. I like that simple action. Mm -hmm. And that, that time of life, you know, there we're going to be giving in different ways and different stages and ages of our life. I think the next thing maybe that we can bring up is this verse in Joseph Smith, Matthew, where he talks about, and whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived for the son of man shall come and shall send his angels before him. Now, I think we usually, well, we're talking about God's word, right? We're treasuring up his word. And I like thinking about that as we're relating back to, to those three parables that we just talked about and how these servants were treasuring up the words of the bridegroom. They were ready. They were honoring him. They were, they wanted to be ready for him. They're treasuring up what they need to do for him. You do get the sense in that story and the parable of the talents and in the sheep and the goats that those that are separated for their righteousness, the five wise um, maidens, the, the uh, successful servants and the sheep, that they care more about the bridegroom or about the master or about the king. They treasure up more his coming and his word and his instructions to them. So there's an emotional component. If the doing is the physical behavioral mm -hmm. component, we need to be doing something. This is the emotional component. We need to have our hearts right. We need to care about the things that God cares about. And I, I love that word treasureth up. And for us, that's that's an easy one. And of course, we're proponents of that, of that scripture study and the power that comes as we learn to know our master and know more fully what he wants us to do and treasure and that those things kind of are the cycle of doing and treasuring and treasuring and doing makes sense uh in doctrine and covenant section 137 it says that the lord judges based on our works so whether or not we're doing something mm -hmm. and also based on the desires of our hearts one of my favorite verses of scripture is in section 128 where the lord praises hiram smith and i love this verse where he says for he loveth that which is right before me. And what a great statement of positive judgment. If God were to say to you, you love that which is right before me. And so I love this idea that yeah. to prepare for second coming, prepare for judgment, we need to be doing and we need to be treasuring. We need to be loving. Mm -hmm. The one that I liked uh, that I saw similar in these three parables um, is... If doing was the first one and treasuring is the second one, there is an element of knowing, but it's not what you know that matters in these parables. It's who you know. The best parable to illustrate this, I think, is the is the parable of the ten virgins. Um, when the five foolish virgins get to the door 
and they knock, and the door is open. This is verse 11, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. He answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Now we'll link this talk in our show notes, but Elder Bednar points out that the Joseph Smith translation reverses the subject and the object in that sentence. He doesn't necessarily say, I don't know you, because of course he knows them. What he says is, you don't know me. You didn't, you weren't watching. You didn't, you didn't care. You weren't paying attention and you don't know who I am. Uh, There's a sense in the parable of the talents that those who are wise stewards of the talents and go and and increase what the Lord has given them, they know the Lord better. They know their master better. They know that he's a man that expects increase and expects growth, where the third man doesn't know him so well and so buries his talent. He should have known that. If he would have known his master better, he would have acted in a similar way. Of course, the sheep and the goats, the difference between sheep and goats is sheep know the shepherd from a couple of episodes ago. They know who he is, they know why he is, and they they serve him. Even if they don't recognize him, as he points out, you, I was hungry and you gave me food, I was naked and you clothed me, I was a stranger and you took me in, and they said, well, we didn't see you. But they knew enough about him to be serving and to be helping. And so um, I like that we need to be doing something, we need to be treasuring the things that are right, and we need to be working towards a greater familiarity and and companionship, love for, and knowledge of who Jesus is, so that when he comes, we recognize him. And when we meet him, he can look at us and say, you know who I am. You've been waiting for me, haven't you? I love the way that all of those things play together, too. We were talking about just before doing and treasuring, but also that idea of that all of those things together, as we do and as we treasure, we come to know. And and then as we come to know, we come to better serve God in in more higher and holier ways. And I love that. Well, there's one final similarity that um, I noticed in all three of these parables, and it's the way that they all end. Uh, this is Matthew 25, verse 10. And while they, meaning the foolish versions, went to buy... The bridegroom came. That's the whole point of the parable is that the bridegroom is coming. We focus a lot on the virgins and whether or not they're prepared, but the whole point of the parable is that he's coming again. So the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. Uh, Verse 23. Um, His Lord said unto him, this is verse 21 and verse 23, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, those talents that I gave you. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And then last verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, to the sheep on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I think the most glorious truth of the second coming is that when the Savior comes again, he comes so that we are enabled to come into his kingdom. His second coming enables our second coming, if you will. We came to this earth as mortals. We are supposed to come back to heaven as glorified immortals. 
And so Jesus' second coming is his way of enabling us to come back and come up to where God wants us to be and to be who he expects us to be. And so it's helpful for me to remember uh, that's the point of the second coming. It's not to tear the world apart. It's not to destroy the wicked. It's to create paradise on earth for a thousand years. And then it's to take those that are ready, those that are righteous with him up to his father um, so that we can share in eternal life, so that we can inherit the kingdom with the son. Especially hearing those last few verses in each of those parables, I think can really give us the reassurance that we need to not fear um, the second coming and to also give us motivation to prepare for what's ahead and to really be be doing and treasuring and knowing um, what our purpose is and how we can prepare to meet the Savior when he comes again. Thank you so much for studying with us this week. Um, if you think this episode would help someone you know, please share it with them. Uh, we're so grateful for those that have commented, those that have shared, those that have liked or left us reviews. It helps to spread this podcast. It helps move that up the charts so that other people can listen to it and read it. And the point isn't to focus on us, but the word of God is so powerful. And especially these chapters are so life-changing that we really want to spread it to as many people as possible. So thank you for participating with us. Thanks for joining the community and we will see you next episode.